following is a teaching message from Shore Community Church. For more information on Shore or our teaching resources, visit www.shore.org.nz. We're going to dive straight into the message and come back and do a couple of other things at the end for reasons that will become apparent very soon. So, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Leviticus. That's right, pry open the pages because you haven't been there for quite a while. Now, we're in this series on images of the cross and uh, 10, okay, images of the cross. Now, what I wanted to do when I first started the series was do a message that looked at the sacrifices of the Old Testament and the way in which they pointed to Jesus. The problem is that there's so many of them. There's so many different sacrifices and they're offered in different ways for different reasons and they all do point to Jesus in some way. But what I've chosen to do this morning is focus on the most important and significant of them all, the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur as it is in Hebrew. This is the day that all of the other sacrifices really crescendo with. All of the festivals of Judaism lead to this. All of the sacrifices that are offered every day and every week, they all rise to a great crescendo with the Day of Atonement. It is, if you are Jewish, either in biblical times or today, this is the most important day of the calendar year. This is the day when atonement is made for the sins of Israel. So what we're going to do this morning is we are going to reenact the Day of Atonement, which is prescribed mostly in Leviticus chapter 16, and then we're going to draw some connections to Jesus and the ministry of Jesus and what this means as we think about the cross. So, the Day of Atonement. Now, if we're going to have a Day of Atonement, the first thing that we're going to need is a high priest. And I believe that we have one this morning. There is a high priest who has made himself available for this day, high priest Aaron. He's coming forward now. And uh, we managed to get a high priest called Aaron, which was a big thing, and he's actually descended from the bloodline of the original Aaron uh, priest. So that's really handy. Now, the high priest is going to come right up here, high priest, once you've got your attire on, because the high priest on the Day of Atonement always wore white. It's really important. It's not the normal priestly attire. Usually there was a bit more color, but on the Day of Atonement, it was white, White uh, tunic, white sash, white. We don't have quite, quite have the white turban, but he had one of those as well. That's right. And this is to represent the humility of the high priest, the purity of the high priest, the simplicity of uh, of the faith that he has. So the high priest comes. He has his uh, all of his gears on, and the main place in which the day of atonement took place each year was in the tabernacle. The tabernacle was a big tent that Israel carried around with them as they journeyed through the wilderness for 40 years. And, and whenever they stopped, they would set up the tabernacle, and all of Israel would camp around the outside of the tabernacle. Now, with the tabernacle, there are two main rooms, okay? This is important. They don't have particularly creative names, but they are the holy place and the most holy place, okay? So we're going to pretend that the holy place is down here at the front, and the most holy place is on the stage. That's not normally true, okay? Just so you know, the musicians and so on. This is not the most holy place. But for today, it is, okay? So this is going to be, the other name is the Holy of Holies, the most holy, most sacred space up here. And this is the place where the very presence of God resided in this box called the Ark of the Covenant. Okay, so this is extremely important and sacred space. And only once a year could anyone enter 
the most holy place. People entered the holy place all the time to offer sacrifices, but only once a year, and only this guy, only the high priest could ever enter the most holy place. Okay, so the first thing that's going to happen on the Day of Atonement is that the high priest will come, and he's going to be presented with a selection of animals. Uh, Particularly, at this point, he needs a bull and a ram, okay? Now, this is, the purpose of this, the bull and the ram, are to deal with his own sin before God. He's He's a fallible human being just like us. He's a fallen human creature. He needs to atone for his own sin before he can make atonement for anybody else's. So he takes a bull and a ram. Now, the ram he's going to sacrifice as a burnt offering on the altar just outside the temple. So he sacrifices this. The smoke rises to heaven, and this is the first part of the Day of Atonement, part of atoning for the high priest. He then takes the bull. Now, animal lovers, watch out. He's going to slit the throat of the bull, gather the blood into a bowl, and he's then going to come inside the tabernacle complex. Now, the importance of blood to highlight this because it's such an important part of the Day of Atonement, part of so many sacrifices in the Old Testament. In Leviticus 17, 11, is the clearest explanation we get of why blood is required. For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Okay, so the blood represents life. The, the life of a creature, the life of any living organism was believed to reside in its blood. The soul resided in the blood. There is this connectedness in Scripture between blood and life. And so by sprinkling blood, the high priest is releasing life where there has been death and where there has been sin. Sin was seen as this contaminating force that polluted the hearts of people. It polluted the community of Israel, and it even polluted the tabernacle. The pollution, the contamination of sin entered into these holy spaces. And part of what the high priest is going to do today is cleanse the tabernacle itself by blood from sin so that it can be restored. Through the shedding and the sprinkling of blood, life is released. That covers over the contamination of sin. It restores the hearts of people. It restores the community of Israel. And it restores the tabernacle so it can again be the place where God meets with people. So the high priest takes the blood of this bull and he comes right in to the most holy place. Remember, all this is still just atoning for his sin. He sprinkles some of the blood on the various ornaments of the most holy place, including the Ark of the Covenant, where the presence of God resided. He's making atonement for his own sin. Okay, after he's done this, and it would have taken a lot longer than that, but after he's made this atonement for himself and his family... He then comes outside. And at this point, the high priest is presented with two goats. Now, these goats are really the main event of the Day of Atonement. They're going to come now, and we've actually got a couple of goats here, so we can demonstrate this. Don't worry, we're not going to slaughter any goats. It's all okay. This is child-friendly. This is animal-friendly. But we have a couple of goats here, and the goats would come, and they would be presented to the high priest. Now, the high priest is going to designate one of these goats for the Lord, and one of these goats is going to be designated for Azazel. And I'll explain what that means in a moment. So, let's just imagine. Are you going to flip a coin? Okay. All right. Which is which? This is for the Lord? Okay. This goat is going to be for the Lord. So, the high priest 
would take this goat and he would slaughter it, okay? Very gently. He's going to take some of the blood of this goat, gathering it in the bowl, and this is for the sin, not of himself now, but for the sin of Israel. And he's going to take the goat's blood, this is the goat for the Lord, and he will come right into the most holy place, sprinkle some of the goat's blood around the most holy place, and then he's going to come outside, he's going to sprinkle some of that goat's blood around the holy place as well, and even on the altar outside the temple. Okay, now he is going to take the goat for Azazel, and he is going to place his hand on the goat, and he's going to confess over it all the sins of Israel. Now, Azazel literally means the goat that departs, or the goat that carries away. When the Bible is translated into Latin, that phrase became the scapegoat. That's where we get that phrase, that word today, the scapegoat. You know, the idea of someone being blamed or whatever for somebody else. So the high priest now takes the goat for Azazel and he confesses over it all the sins of Israel. You can imagine if you're an Israelite watching the high priest symbolically transfer all of your sin onto the head of this poor goat. He confesses all the wickedness of Israel, all of their rebellion, all the things that they've done that have dishonored and displeased God and broken his law. All of that is put on the goat. All of it is transferred onto the scapegoat. And then this goat is not sacrificed. This goat is not killed here. It is led away. And it is led right out of the tabernacle complex in front. It's not keen to be led away. But it would depart out through the middle of the gathering. It will literally be the goat that departs. And what happened as the goat goes through the center of the people is just what happened right then. People would clap. They would applaud because even though the whole Day of Atonement up to this point is a very solemn ceremony, at that point, as the goat is being led away, people have this recognition that this is their sin, being carried away, being carried out of the camp of Israel and led away. And thunderous applause bursts out as people celebrate the fact their sin has been atoned for. Now, that's not the end of the story because that goat keeps on being led away. It, it, it's led half a day's walk to a booth. And there are 10 of these booths set up going out into the desert, out into the wilderness. Each of them is a half day's walk apart. So the goat handler takes the goat, half, walks half a day to the first booth. People meet him there, give him some food and water, and then he walks another half day to the second booth. Then he walks another half day. He's walking for five days, so far away, so far from the camp of Israel. And then finally he gets to the 10th booth, and the tradition that developed is that at that stage he would go and, and push this goat off a massive cliff, a massive ravine. That sounds pretty harsh, but the reality is nobody wants to see that goat again. Nobody wants to be walking around the next day and see this goat carrying all of their sins, walking through the village. This is, this is a very loaded goat now. So you've got to make sure the goat well and truly departs. So there was this whole system of getting it five days walk out into the desert before you push it off a cliff. It was very much the goat that departs. And then the high priest is done. He returns and has a meal with his family and his job is over. So that is the day of atonement in the Old Testament. We did rush it a little bit because the goats have got another party to get to. But uh, hopefully there's, there's a symbolic demonstration there of what it would have been like within Israel to watch atonement happening, to watch your sins being carried away. Now, all of that brings us to the New Testament. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 10. 
And bear in mind that uh, when we get to this description of atonement, the author of Hebrews is writing largely to Jews, largely to people who are familiar with the Day of Atonement, may have participated in it in some way. They know the system. And this is a shocking truth that comes through here in Hebrews 10 about the reality of what the Day of Atonement was all about, or more accurately, what it was not all about. Verse 1 of Hebrews 10. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifice as repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all and would have no longer felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. And here's the real clincher, verse 4. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Now that is quite shocking for people who relied on the Day of Atonement to do precisely that, to take away their sins. That's what was supposed to be happening. That's why that day was instituted. And here is the writer of Hebrews basically saying the Day of Atonement never truly atoned for anything. It never fully atoned for sins. The best that you got with the Day of Atonement was a ceremonial cleansing. The best that you get with the goat and the bulls and all these sacrifices is an outward ritualistic cleansing that makes people right in the eyes of the law, in the eyes of Torah, so they are conformed to God's requirements. But it is only a superficial cleansing because the blood of bulls and goats was never able to truly deal with the deep reality of human sin. The life that's contained in the blood of the bulls and the goats is just, it's animal life. It's fallen, it's created being, it's never pure enough. That blood was never powerful enough. That blood was never holy, it was never sacred, it was never perfect. It was never able to truly bring deep cleansing and life for the contamination of sin that that ran through human hearts. So the Day of Atonement provided this external washing or atoning for sin, but never got to the heart of it. In fact, the author goes even further and says the very fact that this happened every year was a constant reminder that sin had never been dealt with. The irony is the Day of Atonement kept it in front of everybody's face that sin is still here, sin is still a problem. Next year, the high priest is going to get on his white clothes again. He's going to go through the whole thing again because sin is still prevalent and powerful and still has people in its grasp. People are still slaves to sin. It was a constant reminder of the sinfulness and the fallenness of Israel and of all people. Now, does that mean that God instituted a system that didn't work? No, it worked perfectly. It did exactly what it was designed to do. Look again at verse 1 of Hebrews 10. The law is only a shadow. That's the whole point. When you look at the Day of Atonement, in all of its pageantry, all of its ritual, it is only a shadow. It's like looking at a shadow on the ground. The shadow is not the thing itself. The shadow just proves that there's something there, that there's something of substance, that there's another reality. It points to something other than itself. The law, the Day of Atonement, was only ever an illustration. It was only ever a typology pointing towards something greater that was coming, someone greater that was coming, the substance of what was always planned, and that someone we now know is Jesus of Nazareth. Jump back just one paragraph to the end of Hebrews 9 
where the author unpacks this. Verse 24 of Hebrews 9. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary or a tabernacle made with human hands that was a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. So the author's saying the tabernacle in the Old Testament and the temple, they were only a copy of the true tabernacle that's in heaven. The real tabernacle is the presence of God, God's throne room in the heavenly realm. Remember the throne room we looked at in our series on Revelation where God is worshipped? That's the true tabernacle. That's the true holy of holies. The earthly one was only ever a replica of that. The earthly one was just an illustration of that, a model, if you like, of the true tabernacle. So Jesus never in his life went into the holy place of the tabernacle on earth. He never went into the most holy place. He went into the outer courts at times, but never into these inner rooms of the tabernacle. But he did go after his death into the true tabernacle, the true tabernacle in heaven to appear there before the true presence of God in heaven, not the presence of God in a box in a little room in the tabernacle, but the true presence of God in his heavenly throne room. Christ appeared there. And that means that he is now reenacting the true day of atonement and he is taking the role of the high priest. Jesus is the real high priest of which Aaron was only ever an illustration and a shadow. Jesus is our high priest. It makes so much sense because the high priest was a mediator between God and people. They were the broker of that relationship. And Jesus has come now as the perfect mediator between God and humanity because he contains within himself divinity and humanity. He brings those natures together within himself. So who better is placed to be the mediator of these two uh, beings, God and all humanity. Jesus is our high priest. But here's the really exciting part. He is also something else, not just the high priest, but in verse 25, nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Jesus is not just the high priest. What else is he? The sacrifice. He has become the sacrifice. He's both high priest and the living sacrifice who was crucified for us. So Jesus takes the role of the high priest and he takes the role of that first goat that was designated for the Lord, the goat whose blood was spilled and the, the blood was sprinkled then in the most holy place to make atonement for the sins of Israel. Jesus' blood, just like that goat, was shed for us and the life in his blood is powerful enough to cleanse us from all sin. It is not the blood of animals. It is not the blood of created beings. It is the very blood and the very life of God that is released to, to purify us from all the contaminating effects of sin that run through our heart. Jesus' blood cleanses us at a deep, deep level. Our son Lawson has got a birthmark on his, on his calf, and it's a very rare birthmark that extends deeply down into the deep tissue of his leg. So most birthmarks are just topical, and you treat them with laser and they go away. If you try treating this birthmark with laser, the literature says that it's not going to go away. It may even get worse because laser treatment is not going to get down to the root of it. This, what you're looking at on the surface is just the tip of the iceberg. What's generally needed with these birthmarks is surgery because you have to exercise the whole thing, the whole mass underneath in order to get it out 
and then maybe graft over the top. This is a little bit like the difference between dealing with sin in the Day of Atonement in the Old Testament and what Jesus has done in dealing with our sin. The Day of Atonement was like laser surgery for sin. It dealt with it at a, at a, at a topical, surface-level, superficial level. But what Jesus has done has surgically removed sin from our lives. The blood of Christ has purged sin at the deepest level and exorcised that sin to cleanse our hearts and cleanse our consciences deeply from sin. All guilt taken away, all shame taken away, all fear at the deepest level of your heart and mind. Jesus has got to that level with his blood and he has cleansed us there. He's removed sin from us there and he's brought purity and he's brought righteousness and he's brought forgiveness and healing and the love and life of God poured out through the blood of Christ to cleanse us from sin. So Jesus has become for us the goat that was designated for the Lord, cleansing us by his blood. But he's done more. Jesus has also become for us the other goat, the goat for Azazel. Have a look at that very last verse in Hebrews 9. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for them. That language of Christ taking away the sins of many. It's the same language that was used of the goat, the scapegoat, the one that carries away, the one that departs. I want you to imagine again, just think of that scene we just had with the goat that's walking through the community of people and you're watching this goat walk down the aisle with your sin on its head, laden down with your sin. And you're reflecting on the reality that your sin has been somehow symbolically transferred to this goat. And then swap images and now picture Jesus walking from Jerusalem along that road to the hill of Golgotha with the cross on his back carrying the sin of the world, carrying all of our wrongdoing, all of our rubbish, all of our failure, all of our weakness, all of our mistakes, all of our transgressions, all of our shortcomings, laden down with it and walking to his death. Jesus is our scapegoat. Jesus is Azazel, the one who carries away. And so when those things bubble back up to the surface for you, when you just feel laden down with your own stuff and your own inadequacies are just staring you in the face, and maybe that's you this morning, you just feel so weighed down by your own shortcomings, think of that picture of Jesus, our scapegoat, carrying our sins away. The goat has gone. The goat has left the building. Jesus has carried our sins away, and they're never coming back. He has departed. Significance of Jesus being crucified outside the city, taken out, just like the scapegoat, and died. He took them to the grave and left them there.
when your own past bubbles up again and those things that you've done that you're desperately not proud of, that you're embarrassed by and the person that you were and those mistakes and that person that you used to be and that's right there in front of you and you feel just in shame washing over you because of that stuff. Remember, Jesus is your scapegoat. Get that picture back in your mind. Just like the goat walking away, Jesus has carried that stuff. He's carried your past away and it's not coming back. When someone reminds you of your own failings, when, when Satan reminds you, that little voice pushing you down, reminding you of mistakes, of your habitual failings, patterns of acting that are not good and not right, reminding you of all your shortcomings. Get that image back in your mind. Jesus is my Azazel. He has taken my sin away. It's gone. It's finished. It's done. And it's, even when you mess up tomorrow, as you inevitably will, even when we blow it in the future and we fall again and we relapse again and we default back to those patterns of responding and reacting that are so unhealthy, even as we do those things and we get frustrated at ourselves again, remember, Jesus is your scapegoat. He is your Azazel and he has taken your sin away. The blood of Christ has cleansed you and the body of Christ has borne your sin to the grave and it has departed from you. And the richness of the Day of Atonement in the Old Testament gives us, I think, one of the most powerful pictures in all of Scripture as to what it looked like for Jesus to carry our sin, die for our sin, and cleanse us at the deepest level of our being. And let me just talk for, for, for a brief moment as we finish here and head into communion to those of you who have never, ever given your life to Jesus. As we're talking today about the Day of Atonement, you may never have experienced this Day of Atonement yourselves. You may, in a sense, be still loaded up with all your own sin. I mean, Jesus has carried your sin away. He's borne it. He's done it. But like any gift, you've got to receive it. it it's got to be applied to you. And that happens as we exercise faith in Christ. And we come to, maybe you've never done this. Maybe it's been in your mind and you're kind of thinking about it. And may, this morning, you just maybe see it more clearly than before. Jesus is inviting you to make this your day of atonement. He has done everything that's needed. His work is finished. He's still there in heaven interceding for us before God, but his atoning work for us is finished. And now Jesus invites us to turn our hearts toward him and to come to him and to be big enough to own up to our stuff, to be big enough, just like the high priest confessed over the goat, the sins of Israel. He asks us to come to God and begin a conversation with him in which we own up to the fact that we are sinful people that we've messed up. We don't have to name every single thing, but to confess the fact that we have fallen way short of the dignity and the glory of a created being and the image of God that God's created us in, that we have turned away from God, that we've acted autonomously and selfishly, and we've gone our own way. And then it's to accept and to, to lean our whole selves upon the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross for us and to trust that for our forgiveness and our cleansing and our atonement, our reconciliation with God. It's to accept what Jesus has done, to lean fully on that and ask for God's forgiveness in place of all the sin that ravages our lives. And then it's to step away from this old life that is self-governed, self-directed, self-determined and embrace a new life with God at the center, with Jesus at the center, where he comes as our defining reality as the core of our life, the one who has saved us and now the one who leads us.
the one who guides us on and the one who will now shape and direct and take charge of our lives. That may be a process you've never gone through. I want to encourage you to make today the day that you do that, that you could look back at this day and say, that was my day of atonement. That was the day when Jesus took my sins away. He did it 2,000 years ago, and God made it real in my life on this day. Why not? This could be your day of atonement. So I want to invite you, if you're in that category of being there and being ready to step into this relationship with Christ for the first time, or if you're a follower of Jesus, and for you, you just need the reality of what Christ has done to be made more real in your life. And maybe you just feel the shame bubbling up and the guilt bubbling up and the fear bubbling up, and you need to internalize deeply the goat has gone and Jesus has taken my sins away. Not just head knowledge, but heart. I want to invite you, if you're in either of those categories, as we take communion in a minute, to come up and be prayed for. Just in this area over here. doesn't need to take that long, but I'd love to pray for you that God would really make His grace known in your life. Or that God would make today the first day of the rest of your life by beginning that relationship with you and coming to fill you by His Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of the Jesus who died on the cross for you. Or to pray that God, God's love is made more known and the reality of what Jesus has done sinks in at a deeper level and grabs a hold in your life in a way it never has before. If that's you, if you know you need that prayer, you need someone to just lay a hand on your shoulder today and just pray for this. It can be your day of atonement. And I want to invite you to do that as we share in this meal of the bread and the wine, the cup and the juice, the cup and the, and the wafer that symbolize the reality of Jesus' blood that's poured out, just as we've talked about, Jesus' body that is broken to give life to us. So let's pray, and then we're going to share in that together. Jesus, it's an amazing thing that you've done. And it's incredible to think, God, that even way back there when you were instituting the Day of Atonement, it was always all about Jesus. And as you were giving those instructions to Moses and the high priest went through that stuff every year, it was always all about Jesus. And you always knew that Jesus was coming and that that's what it was pointing towards and it was always just a shadow. But you've given us this as an amazing illustration of what it means for Jesus to carry our sins on himself, for his blood to be shed and for us to be cleansed and forgiven and freed. And I pray, Lord Jesus, because this is stuff that we've heard and spoken about and can easily become cliche, I pray that it would settle on our hearts in a fresh way this morning. And particularly for those who are here and feel really loaded down with their own sin and shame or just the struggle of life, who feel weighed down by it, I pray they would know what it is this morning to see you bearing their sin, carrying their shame, bearing their brokenness on your back, and that that would be a freeing reality for them. Set us free again by the truth of what you've done for us and drive it deeper into our heart today than ever before, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources or to donate to our teaching resource ministry or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.